Good evening. It's good to have you all here this evening. Uh, before we go to Lord in prayer, I just want to say a couple things quickly. Um, and this will be the, probably the last time I use this qualifier before because it'll apply to the rest of the evening services. I'm going to trust that you understand that we cannot be exhaustive on each topic. And the goal isn't to be exhaustive on each topic. The goal is to present to you uh, each night something that will speak to your heart and then encourage you to go study for yourselves, uh, maybe like a Berean, searching those things to see where those things are so, but really uh, to look for ways to make application in your life. And especially with a subject like tonight, as we look at the holiness of God, we're looking each night this week at what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature, to be a partaker of the nature of God. And we understand, I trust, that we will never be like God. None of us will be, ever be equal with God. But there are attributes that God has that He, in His goodness to us, uh, allows us to have and use for His glory here on earth. And so we're going to be looking at those this week. Tonight is the subject of holiness. It is an important one. It's, it's, it's uh, one that we definitely need to understand, but I'm going to trust that uh, you've already been praying, but we're going to pray again before I go to the, the preaching. Would you please join me in your heart and pray for the service this evening? Our Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful singing, and Father, I believe that the song was sung with conviction by all those that are here. I believe they meant it. And Father, I ask that you answer the prayer of that song, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us revival. Lord, being reminded of what we have in the religious freedom that we have, it's a blessing. And I thank you for churches like this that are stewarding that freedom in a good way. Father, I ask that you would allow those that are here this evening who have made time on a work night to be back assembled together, not just to hear me, but Father, they came to hear from your word. So I pray that you would give them ears and hearts like the Thessalonians, that they would not hear a man speak, but as it will be in truth, they'll hear your word. I pray that you would change lives tonight. I pray, Father, that you would allow the truth of the message to be understood. I ask now for the grace that I need to preach effectively. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you remember the question asked, and maybe you can answer it in your heart. Amos asked the question in the third chapter of the book titled after his name. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I believe that we all understand the answer to that would be, well, no. You have to be going the same direction. You have to be in sync. So can two walk together except they be agreed? No. And what makes that answer even more amazing is when you read about a man named Enoch the Bible says that Enoch walked with God now he had a testimony that he pleased God but Enoch walked with God now if it's true that you cannot walk together unless you're agreed what does that tell us about Enoch and God how it's worded is also informative it does not say God walked with Enoch. It says Enoch walked with God. Be sure that God was the one leading the direction. And we are living in a time, and this message tonight is not just for American churches. It applies for sure. 
the message tonight is for any Christian of any age and any culture all across the globe. But we're most familiar with American churches. And there's something about American churches that there are those who say they're Christians and who live their lives with enough spirituality to do what they want, when they want, where they want, with whom they want, but they're spiritual enough to say, Lord, please bless it as I do it. But see, really, when you study the scriptures in the Old Testament, the children of God, in the New Testament, Christians are disciples of Christ. That's not the prayer of a saint. Lord, bless me as I do what I want to do. No, the prayer we pray is... Lord, what will thou have me to do? Amen. Lord, I don't want you walking with me. I want to make sure I'm walking with you. And to quote J. Oswald Sanders, God always walks the highway of holiness because he is holy. There are three things I want us to see tonight about holiness. I want to see holiness defined. What, what does it mean, Holiness. And then I want us to see together that holiness is demanded. And lastly, I want to see holiness demonstrated. And I pray that it's a blessing to you tonight as we think about being a partaker of the divine nature. And holiness indeed is a divine nature. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Moses is what's called part of Moses' song. says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You see, before Moses talked about what God does, he talked about who God is. And if you get nothing else in the message tonight, get this. The Bible does not tell you to do holy. It says to be holy. Now, there is action. There are uh, things that we are to do as believers But you need to be before you do. Otherwise, what you do will not bring God the glory that he deserves. And so tonight, as we look, it's not be holy as I am holy. None of us could be holy as God is holy. But it is God commands us to be holy for I am holy. Because God is holy, his children should be holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, many of you are familiar with this portion of scripture... In verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Seraphims means burning ones, and I don't think it's a coincidence that those operating closest to God were the ones that were, if we could use our vernacular, on fire. Amen? May it be so with us. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When A.W. Tozer wrote his book on the attributes of God, he lamented at the struggle it is for men to come up with uh, accurate terms to describe the holiness of God. He said it's because we have something that seeped into our pores. We have this mentality about how we view men. We do it with politicians We know that they've got some bad things about them, but we look past that and we look for the good. And we often have this phrase that goes around, hey, the best of men are still the men at best. Nobody's perfect. Well, God's perfect. God's perfect. 
And we can't allow how we view each other to affect how we view God. And while it's true there is a Hebrew literary tool where they didn't really have the use of superlatives like we do, so they would repeat something to make sure you got the emphasis. And while that's true, that holy, holy, holy is repeated, that's not what we have here. We don't have Isaiah saying, God is holy, 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 and what can I do to, to those that are going to be reading Hebrew to understand this? So I'll, I'll use this literary tool and make it the superlative, you know, the holiest, holy, holy, holy. What we have here is Isaiah recording what is being said by the seraphim about God. And they declare not his love and not his grace, although he is loving and he is gracious. But they cry out about his holiness. They worship him for his holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. Back and forth they cry to each other, holy, holy, holy. And while we struggle to try to understand how perfect God is, we come up with words like purity. But purity could almost be something that has been refined to be pure. Like gold, where it's constantly refined and then finally it's got that value. Well, that's not God. Although he's pure, he's never had to be refined. We have morally excellent. But excellent implies that there is a comparison, that God excels above others. But that's a wrong comparison because God is so far above anyone else to be brought down to a comparison level. Righteousness. Righteousness, though, implies that there's some sort of standard. And who's going to hold God to a standard? God is the standard. Rather, I think we look at how the word is used and we allow that to help us understand that God and his goodness, using our language and you know, writing to mankind, putting things about him, illustrations and words, to just help us understand a little bit about him. And in context of how it's used, we, can, we understand that this word, and I think it's the best description of the word, because the Greek word used is similar to the Hebrew word that's used. You don't have to be a scholar in original languages to know your Bible. But the idea here is the same word that's used for sanctified, the same word that is used for saints, the same word that is used for the adjective, holy, the same word that's used for the verb, to sanctify, to purify, to make holy, the same word used for holy, as in the holy one, a noun form. It has this underlying truth to separate. And that's it. Separated. Beloved, get in your hearts tonight. God is utterly separated from man. Now, our sin has caused that separation, but there is a a greater separation between God and his creation. And it is the fact that he is our creator. And we are the creation. And God is so above us. He is so above us that I believe that's why Isaiah was able to see himself as he really was. Because he, he actually first saw God as God really is. High and lifted up. High and lifted up. This is our God. But this testimony about God and his nature is used by God to tell us about our holiness. As we're going to see in just a few minutes, we are told to be holy for God is holy. So how can we be holy like that? Well, we can't. 
but we can be separated. We can be set apart. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying because when we relate holiness to us, we are going to talk about disassociation. You know, that which we are separated from. But that's, you can't use words like disassociation with God. God doesn't have to be apart from something to make him holy. He just is holy. Amen? But we're, we're man. We're, we're created. We're fallible. We're sinful creatures. So in order to follow God in his way, we have to disassociate with some things. But if we are not careful, we can only focus on separating from And that's really not the full weight of what it means to be holy. Now, you can do that. Around Jesus' day, there were around 6,000 Pharisees. You're familiar with Pharisees. And people would understand them. They'd see them. And while they may have not liked Pharisees because they were kind of jerks, they thought, thought, well, yes, you got to respect them. I mean, they've dedicated their life to the Lord. They're completely separated. Yeah, they were separated from things, but that didn't make them holy. An illustration of that would be the fact that they had the scriptures. They had the truth. They had the the Hebrew scriptures like you do. But they had facts. They didn't have the truth. What's the difference? Well, there's spirits missing. They're ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if we're not careful, we can take the idea of holiness and we can only focus on what we are to be separated from. And all that will do is produce cold, Phariseeistic religion. And we don't want that. Our Lord was accused of being many things, including an illegitimate child. But you know one thing he was never accused of being was a Pharisee. And the reason for that is because he never acted like one. Neither should we. There's the other extreme, and that is the realization that separation is not just from something, it's unto something, unto God. But if we're not careful, we can only focus on that as well. Where you just live like, well, hey, listen, we're not under the law anymore. Well, says who? Didn't Jesus say, if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you love your neighbor as yourself? On these two hang what? All the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. Now, praise the Lord, we're not under the consequences of the law anymore. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But this whole idea about, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. All this, we have liberty in Christ. Listen, beloved, get in your heart. Liberty in Christ without the lordship of Christ is a half-truth. And a half-truth is always a complete lie. So we are under something. We're under grace. We're we're under an authority. We, We are under God's word, his commandments, his precepts. If we're not careful, we can almost have an antinomian type spirit about us where we say, well, because I'm saved, you know, I don't have to be separated from all these different things. And you can see how the devil works. He appeals to what this person's heart is. And and they like the Phariseeistic mentality. They like the rules and regulations. It gives them comfort because at least they know what to do. But the person over here, they like living how they want. So the devil kind of feeds both these extremes. But biblical holiness is not one or the other. Biblical holiness is both. It is not just being separated from the world. It is being separated from the world, but unto God. It is being consecrated 
unto God. Let me illustrate, if I can, in the book of Exodus quickly. And I want to show you things that were called holy. And the Lord has used things like this to help humble me. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. Moses has come through the wilderness. He sees a bush that is on fire. I wish I had time tonight to talk about God is a consuming fire. Moses uh, responds to the Lord. He says, here am I. Look at verse 5. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. In the Hebrew, it's two words. It is holy soil. It's holy dirt, beloved. Now, was there other dirt around? Yeah, there was a lot of other dirt around. But this dirt was different. Why? Because God was there. That's why. What made dirt so special? God made dirt so special. You take your shoes off. Listen, this is holy ground. When you remember what we are, dirt, that's been formed into life and God breathes into us. And you think about what we are as a creation. Listen, we are nothing special. Amen. The only thing that sets us apart is the presence of God in our lives. So dirt was called holy. But there was dirt other places. But this was not only dirt. Look over to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. I'm just trying to lay before you the examples to help us define what our holiness looks like. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 9. And we're, we're going to skip through a bunch of it. This is a tabernacle commandments and about the vessels and, and the, the priests. But I want you to see this. Exodus 40 verse 9. And thou shalt take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is therein. And thou shalt hallow it. You know what that means. It means you're going to set it apart. And all the vessels thereof. Now, were there other vessels in the camp? Yeah. But these were holy. Thou shalt anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all his vessels and sanctify the altar. And it shall be an altar most what? Most holy. And thou shalt anoint the laver and his foot and sanctify it. That's the verb form of holy. Make it holy. Set it apart. And then look at verse 12. Thou shalt bring Aaron and his sons under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Why did vessels have to be made holy? Because they were to be used in service to the Lord. Why did Aaron have to be sanctified? Why did Aaron have to be made holy? Well, God says, it says it in the verse, that he may minister unto me, that he may serve me in the priest's office. The same thing with his sons. We're not going to have time to read it, but you get the idea. Verse 16, thus did Moses, according to all the Lord commanded him, so did he. You see, your holiness has this in mind, that you are to be set apart from certain things so that you can serve the Lord. It's that simple. You are separated from something. You're you're, you're consecrated. There's a lot of vessels, but these are special. There's a lot of tents, but this one is special. There's a lot of dirt, but this section is special. There's a lot of people, but you are peculiar. 
You are special. And you ought to act like it. You ought to live like it. So this is holiness defined. Separated from, unto. Separated from, and you can fill in the from, but the unto is always the same. It's not to church, it's not to your pastor, it's to God. Let's look secondly at holiness demanded. This is why this message, not that I'm preaching it, but the subject is so important. Because holiness is demanded of children of God. Not just vessels and not just tabernacles, but people. If you would take your Bible, go with me. We're to a quick Bible study. Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. Look with me, please, at verse 44. Now, I realize there's some contextual things here that help, but for our purposes tonight, we're just going to kind of focus on these these certain verses, and I'd encourage you to go back and read the context later. Leviticus 11, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. If we could say it like this, you are to be sanctified and you are to keep yourself that way. If you go just a few pages to the right, chapter 19, verse 2. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy. For I the Lord God, excuse me, for I the Lord your God am holy. Again, not as I am holy. We could never be as holy as God. But because God is holy, his children are to be holy. It's the same thing in chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. For I am the Lord which sanctify you. Same chapter, chapter 20, verse 26. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have served you from other people that ye should be mine. You get the idea. When we talk about being a partaker of a divine nature, we see over and over again where God tells you to do something in your life and then he refers to himself as the reason you should be that thing. Divine nature, holiness, but you need to be holy because God is holy. It's not just in the Old Testament. If you say, well, that's just for the children of Israel. And I can hear you thinking that. Just, I, that was a joke. I was just seeing if you were still listening. Amen. Thank you for chuckling, those that did. If you would, take your Bible. Turn to Matthew. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Matthew, Jesus preaching what we have often called the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving this distinction between what they've heard through religious so-called leaders and then what he says. And anytime Jesus speaks, it's the word of God. And so there's this constant, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. He goes through this. We're not going to look at all of them. But we'll look at the last part, verse 44, excuse me, verse 43. You've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now it doesn't mean so you can attain it. It means, just like we looked at the other day, children resemble their father. So live this way. Because that's how your father in heaven is. You get that. And it gives what the Lord does. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. Sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46. If you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? 
And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Here's the application. Here's the therefore. Here's why it's there. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which, in is, which is in heaven is perfect. You be holy because God's holy. You be perfect. That This doesn't mean without error. It means complete. You know that. You're well taught. It means mature. And the reason you can is because God is complete. Amen? And here, here's, an, here's a good application. This is why he is the author and the finisher. Praise the Lord for that. So be perfect. Jesus said this. You be perfect even as the Father is perfect. And then Peter, he affirms what Leviticus taught. If you would go to 1 Peter, because I want you to see this. Because Peter is a good preacher. He's a good preacher. He, he knows how to shore up his point. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He's speaking about uh, us being obedient children, not fashioning ourselves with the former lust and ignorance. That's the, 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 the from, right? Separating from. Look at verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So he makes a point, but then he gives chapter and verse like a good preacher. Amen? He says in verse 16, because it is written, not because I say, not because I'm Peter and I think you should know, because it is written. And he refers back to what we read in Leviticus. Be ye holy, for I am holy. I hope you get the idea tonight that holiness for God's people is demanded by God. This, these are imperative statements. These are imperative commands. You be holy because God is holy. And so holiness is demanded. And incidentally, God is allowed to demand things of us. Amen? Amen. You know, there are people in our lives that don't have the right to demand things of us, but God has the right to demand things of us. This is an imperative command. And this is serious. How serious is it? It's so serious that Jesus, praying to the Father, nearing his own death, and praying for us, Praise, and I know you know the verse, John 17, verse 17, sanctify. That's the verb form of holy. Make them holy. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You think it's important to God? You better believe it's important to God. Why is it so important? Well, Hebrews 12 teaches us why it's important. If you would take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, look with me. At verse 14, this is after he's been speaking about um, chastisement and the purpose of chastisement and then the results of chastisement. He says in verse 14, follow peace with all men and what? Holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I hate to say this, and I'm not suggesting I'm a better preacher than anybody. I'm not at all. I'm, I'm the, the least of all the preachers. I can, I can assure you of that. But it has grieved me. I've heard this preached. And instead of saying what it says, that without holiness shall no man see the Lord, there's like a, almost like a tripping over oneself to make it so. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. You don't have to be perfect. You know, you know, we're justified by faith. Don't forget that. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're justified. You have had righteousness imputed to you. You're A-OK. But that's not what it says here. It says that without holiness shall no man see the Lord. And by the way, I don't think anyone reading it says God's looking for perfection. But he is looking for direction. 
Because he says, follow after. Follow peace with all men and holiness. That means that's my desire. That's where I want to go. Because without holiness, nobody's going to see the Lord. Why would God allow profane things in his presence? Defiled things in his presence. Now the good news is he's the one that makes us holy. But this is just a reality. Beloved, do you you understand why this is so important for us? Why it's demanded that that, that God's children be holy? If you're concerned, say, well, maybe I'm I'm not doing enough. Let let me encourage you before we go to our third point. Turn to Romans chapter 6, and I want you to see another example of why this is so important. I think it's a great shame when people walk what's often called the Romans road, and they skip over 22 verses to get to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I praise the Lord for that truth. But for means because. So you want to go, well, what's, what's before it? And if you read through it, it's Paul talking about sanctification. He's talking about those that abuse the grace of God. He starts off, shall we say that? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? God forbid. Remember, getting your heart, holiness is separating from things. And so Paul is saying there should be no, no uh, room for sin in our life. Verse 6 says our old man is crucified with him. We're free from sin, he says in verse 7. Verse 8, if we dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being dead, uh, raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves be dead indeed unto what? Sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He's saying, stay away from sin, if I could paraphrase, right? And look at verse 22. But now being made free from sin, is that you? Have, are you saved? Have you been made free from sin? Now being made free from sin and become servants to God. Praise the Lord for that. I used to serve sin. Now I'm able to, where I once fell short of the glory of God, where I once served self, where I once served sin, I have been made free. I can now bring God glory with my life. I no longer serve sin. I'm a servant to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Amen, amen, and amen. Yes, we have eternal life now. The end is everlasting life. But right now, you who have been made free from sin, you are servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. These are just some of the verses in the New Testament. But I hope that you understand the importance of your being separated from this world unto God, consecrated to serve him with your life. Remember, it doesn't say do holy, it says be holy. Why? Because I want what I do to mean something for the Lord. You can pour water out of a filthy pitcher, but I don't think a lot of people are going to want to drink it. And I can preach a message, but if I'm not clean, E.M. Bounds said it this way in his book on prayer. We are conduits in which divine oil flows. And what he's saying is we want our conduits to be as clean as possible. That's why you ought to pray for your pastor. 
If you were going to surgery, I'm pretty sure you'd want your, surgery, your surgeon to have complete recall, amen? That you'd want your surgeon to be able to put into practice that which he was trained to do. Well, that's dealing with health. Preaching is dealing with eternal matters. Amen. And you ought to pray for your pastor. Pray that God keeps him holy. Robert Murray McShane said of pastoring, he said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Now, he wasn't suggesting that he was their greatest need. What he was saying was, if it is true that they do not hear me, but as it is in truth the word of God, I better be a clean vessel in which there's no Robert Murray McShane or there's no Josh Fryman in the way of you getting what God wants you to hear. So you need to pray. Because if we want, what our, we want our Lord to be happy with what we do, then we want to be holy. Only clean vessels are fit for the master's use. There's no room for pride in our lives. There's no room for God to share glory with anybody. We want to be holy. We want to have the prayer, search me, O God. Look into my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, any unclean thing in me. Why did the psalmist say, Thy word have I hid in my heart? That I might not sin against thee. Clean vessels fit for the master's use. I could give you lots of verses, beloved. I could give you illustrations. I could give you poems that might bring a tear to your eye. But here's one reason why you should walk out of this sanctuary tonight with a burning conviction in your heart that says, I need to be holy, I need to be holy. And here it is. It's because God says so. And that's it. It should be enough to a believer that God tells you to be holy. Tonight, it is not about your giftedness as much as your godliness that matters to the Lord. One of the greatest pieces of advice I received in ministry when it talked about hiring staff or bringing people on, putting people in positions, here's what this pastor told me. He'd been pastoring for decades. He said, don't hire talent, hire spirit. What he, what he meant by that was, you can have someone who's qualified with a bad spirit. But you can have someone who might need some training and not have the most qualified, but they have the right spirit. That's what you want. You see, that, that's what Samuel found out when he was looking for a king. Remember that? It's not giftedness, it's godliness. <clears throat> it's also, it's not about your career, it's about your character. It's who you are, not what you do. Now what you do matters, we're going to look at that next. But what you do is affected by who you are. And remember this, my dad said this years ago, God did not call us to be famous but he did call us to be faithful. He did call us to be faithful. So we've seen holiness defined. We've seen, I pray, holiness demanded. I hope you understand your heart that it's a demand of God on his children. But let's look at holiness demonstrated. And there are three areas holiness is demonstrated, and I hope that didn't discourage you when I just told you there's three more points. All right? We're going we're gonna to go through them quickly. But holiness is demonstrated in our worship. Holiness is demonstrated in our worship. Look over at Romans chapter 12, please. And I'm going to just quote a psalm to you. This psalm has helped shape our church's ministry on the Lord's Day. And we also understand that worship happens on Monday and Tuesday as well. Amen? Amen. 
Worship doesn't just happen when we're together. Worship can happen when I'm in my car. Worship can happen anywhere. But this, this particular psalm has helped our church. It's informed us. Psalm 89, verse 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. Amen. You see, when you are understanding that God is holy and you want to walk with a holy God who walks the highway of holiness, you understand that I'm going to come into his presence. I want to make sure that I'm as right as I can be. I, I, I like what uh, Robert McShane, he said this, he's a, a Scottish pastor, you'll hear me quote him a lot probably. But he had a prayer, he said, Father, make me as holy as a redeemed sinner can be made. That was his desire. I, I know I'm a redeemed sinner, I know I'm not, never going to be as holy as I need to be, but Father, make me as holy as I can be. Worship is important. Here in Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, right off the bat, holy, acceptable unto your community, no, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It just makes sense, doesn't it? When you think of the mercies of God, and then you think about you giving him your life, a holy life, acceptable to him, his commandments are not grievous. It just makes sense. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is it so important that your mind be holy? Because you have to prove. That means test. You have to determine what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a pretty important thing for a believer, amen? amen? Worship. You see, holiness is demonstrated in our worship. We present what we have to God. We present ourselves to God, understanding I have to be holy. What is worship if not giving? And you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Quickly, secondly, not only your worship, but also your walk. Your walk. If you would go with me to First Corinthians chapter six, and I want to I want to show you when I say holiness demonstrated, I want to show you what it it looks like to be holy. Like what what do you do? What is the action that you take to be holy? First Corinthians chapter six. Look with me, please, at verse eleven. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord for that. He continues teaching about that in context. Go with me to verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the... What kind, what kind of spirit? Holy Ghost. This is not just any... I, I say ghost, but you, get, you understand what I mean by spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Which are God's. Could we say it this way tonight? That you, not just your spirit, but your body, 
how you talk, what you watch, where you go, what you listen to, what you wear, God's. We could say it this way, separated unto him. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been pulled out of this mess. And you're over here serving God. This is why Paul could tell the saints at Ephesus, if you take your Bible, turn there with me just quickly, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to see this, this action, this act of what it looks like to be holy. Because remember what, remember what we looked at, holiness is separated from something unto something. Remember that? Way back like 40 minutes ago. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me here. He says in verse 14 that we be henceforth no more children. So the idea is there that we be mature, right? Grown up, perfect, complete. Speaking the truth in love that we, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, verse 17, Ephesians 4, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You should walk different than the world. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You're a saint. Verse 18 says their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You're different. You're not like them. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And here we go. That you what? Two words, put off, concerning the former conversation. Verse 23, be renewed. There is a negative and there is a positive. Verse 24, you put on the new man. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying. That's, that, that is the negative. You're putting off lying. But what are you going to replace it with? Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Put that off. Replace it with what? Rather let him labor, working with his hands. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but put that off. Get, that, get rid of that. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and... Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, being holy means that you as a believer are going to have to be honest. As you read the Bible, as you ask God to search your heart, as you ask Him to show you from Scripture yourself, as you say, Lord, I want to see you as you really are because I need to see me as I really am. And as He reveals things to you, being holy means... You're going to have to put off some things and you're going to have to put on some things. You're going to have to separate from some things. Listen, you're going to have to separate from some people. You're going to have to separate from things and you're going to have to focus on being unto where you're going, direction with God. There is a major area in your life that needs holiness and it is not just your worship. It is your daily walk. 
It is how you talk. It is your testimony. Sadly, there are too many men and women with reputations when we want people with testimonies. A reputation is when I'm known for me, but a testimony is when I'm known for what Christ has done or is doing in my life. God give us testimonies. And then lastly, in closing, we need holiness in our worship, in our walk, and in our witness. If you would take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. And I want to show you this, and then we'll be done. And then I'll just save the end of this message for the introduction tomorrow, all right? Jude, join me in verse 22. Jude 22. He says, And of some have compassion. Making a difference, that just means making a distinction, right? You need to know, you you need to have discernment as a believer. You can't cookie cut how you treat people. Some people need an arm around the shoulder. They need sat down with. They need time. Some have compassion. Making a difference. Others say with fear. They don't need an arm around around the shoulder. They need, and this isn't literal, this is figurative, please, but they need a smack on the snout, as it were. We're going back to dog training, Brother Matthew. So, anyway. Why? Because they don't have time. They're in a bad way. That's what Jude's saying. When we were back in New York, my daughter was walking in a parking lot. And if you, if you ever asked me the question, have you ever yelled at your daughter Madison? I would tell you, yes, but please let me explain the circumstance. Because I saw what she didn't. I saw a car coming up out of the Target parking lot, heading up where we were. And she was just trying to catch up with Jen and her sister. And I yelled at the top of my lungs. I yelled, Madison! I mean, I was serious. And she just froze. Why did I do that? Because she was in danger and I knew it. And she needed to be saved with fear, if we could say it that way. We have to be discerning as believers. Some have compassion. Others say with fear. If you woke up early tomorrow morning and there's an orange glow coming through your window and your neighbor's house is on fire and you fly out of bed and your spouse asks you, what are you doing? And you're rounding through your dresser drawer saying, I need to find a card, quick. What's wrong? The neighbor's house is on fire. I need to mail them a card and warn them. So you, you need to what? Like... I mean, you might have a fast postal service, but I don't think it's going to get there in time, right? Of course you wouldn't do that. It's a silly illustration, but Jude's talking about pulling them out of the fire. They don't have have time for you to mail a card. They need you to run over there and bang on every window and every door until you get their attention. You say, you're in danger. You need to get out of there. But notice what Jude says. The goal is to rescue them. But while we're rescuing them, we're hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Here's what this means. Let me use Jesus to illustrate. One of my favorite stories of of Jesus healing is when he healed lepers. Because lepers were unclean. And nobody got near lepers. Nobody. They didn't want to touch their clothes. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to be near them. That's why they always had to stay outside. And they had to cry out to others that were coming close to stay away because they were lepers. 
But do you know what the Bible says about our Lord? I love this about our Lord. Jesus could have spoke from here to the back door back there and said, be cleansed, but he didn't. You know what the Bible says our Lord did? He touched them. Amen? Amen. Here's a leper who hasn't been hugged. Hasn't, no one's uh, come up to him, put an arm around him. No, no one's been near him. And here comes Jesus, and he keeps getting closer and closer. And even the disciples are thinking, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord touches him. Do you know why? This is very important. Very important. Because Jesus wasn't worried about the leprosy influencing him. He was there to influence leprosy. <laughs> Amen? I mean, he was there to, to heal that man of leprosy, or those, those men from leprosy, several, several times. This is what we have to think about when we witness. You know, if we can just help them understand that, you know, Jesus is relatable. You know, if, we, if, if, I could just, if I could just, you know, meet them where they're at and, and, and you know, kind of show them love their way, then maybe they'll understand Jesus' love for them. Listen, we can't witness like that. Jesus didn't eat with publicans and sinners to become like publicans and sinners. He ate with publicans and sinners to make them holy, to, to, to rescue them. For his verbiage, to give sight to the blind, that's why he was there. And listen, we are ambassadors for Christ. We pray you in Christ's stead, Paul says, be reconciled to God. So do you need to go into the world? Absolutely. We can't huddle up on a bubble. We have, to get in, we have to get out there into the world. But just because we're in an unholy world doesn't mean that we neglect our responsibility to be holy. Our worship, our walk, and our witness, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. A ship can sail across the ocean for one reason, because the water stays on the outside. All the water in the ocean can't sink that ship. But if there's a breach, it won't take all the water in the ocean. It'll take just enough. Keep the water out. Keep the, keep the sin out. Keep the influence out. Keep the culture out. Why? Because you are partakers of a divine nature. You're not partakers of this world. You've been, you've been delivered from the corruption of this world. No, no, you are partakers of a divine nature. You be holy because your God is holy. You be holy because your God is holy. And then you watch and see the influence you'll have, not just in your family, not just in your personal life, but as a church corporately. I'm not suggesting tonight that you're not. But maybe the message tonight was just to make sure you stay that way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't know any closing that would be sufficient when discussing a topic as lofty as your holiness and our responsibility to be holy. I'm trusting your spirit has made application and I believe, Father, that we have sensed the necessity, the demand to be holy and the responsibility we have to put things off and put things on to not just be separated from the world but to be consecrated unto you for your service. Lord, I pray that you'll be glorified in the response, not just tonight, but through, in, through the coming weeks. We'll be quick to give you and you alone the glory for what you'll do. We thank you in Jesus' name.